This episode of Doing Disney, grab your ruby slippers because we are revisiting the 1985 dark fantasy children's film, Return to Oz. Theme song guy. On this podcast, we let it go because Hakuna Matata and the bare necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith, trust and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea because on this podcast, we do Disney. Hi there, I'm your hostess with the mostest, Kelly Meehan. And welcome to Doing Disney. This week we travel with Dorothy to the magical land of Oz in Disney's pseudo-sequel, Return to Oz. I'm joined by special guest Melissa Woody. Melissa, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about this, uh, I'd say, unappreciated gem of a film. I love that term. Let's just get straight into it. Start at the beginning. Return to Oz, released in 1985, directed by Walter Murch, starring Faroosia Bok as Dorothy, Nicole Williamson as the Gnome King, and Jean Marsh as Nurse Wilson. It follows Dorothy as she is returned from the land of Oz, but due to concerns of a session from Auntie M and Uncle Henry, Dorothy is taken to the sanitarium for electrotherapy treatment due to her delusions. She manages to escape, helped by a mysterious girl, where she returns to Oz with her chicken, Belina. She searches for her old friends, but meets new ones, such as TikTok and Jack Pumpkinhead. However, she's chased by enemies, such as Princess Mombi and the Known King, who have arisen during Dorothy's absence and threaten the Land of Oz. In the end, the Gnome King is defeated by ingesting an egg laid by Belina, the mysterious girl who helped her escape turns out to be Ozma, rightful heir of Oz, and Dorothy returns home. That was a hard one to sum up. Tale as old as time. Melissa, my first question is a bit of a combined one. How did you first come to return to Oz? And then what is your general history with The Wizard of Oz as a property, including any adaptations, spin-offs, reimagining, and so forth? Yeah, um, so the first time I watched Return to Oz was probably around the age of like eight or nine. Um, I used to go to uh, childcare before and after school because I was mostly raised by a single father who was running his own business and also dealing with some inner demons. So a complicated childhood for sure. (laughs) um, uh, Actually at the child care center um, at my school, which was a Catholic school, which is even weirder to me. uh, They, they played a lot of these types of films and that's how I first saw it. They were playing uh, return to Oz and, I was that one of few kids that were actually like really paying attention to it and really (laughs) into it. Um, And it definitely was uh, one of those films that kind of gave me the tingle for horror because it it definitely has some horror elements to the film. Um, But I was, I was just a big fan of kind of those weird kind of creepy movies from like the eighties and the nineties that were targeted for kids. And most people are like, yeah, this movie's not really for kids, but I I, I was a kid that actually loved it. <laughs> How So had you seen this one before the original Wizard of Oz, do you think? Like, was this your first foray? Um, I'm not sure. I would say I probably mm-hmm. honestly saw them a- around the same time because I feel like I probably saw Wizard of Oz around the same time period, 8, 9, 10. Um, so I don't really remember which one I saw first, but I loved both. Um, and I guess you know, as a kid, I didn't really fully connect the two, to be honest. Um, I just, I just enjoyed both of the films. And I, and I know we'll probably talk about both films throughout this conversation, just because there's just, 
it's it, it gets compared all the time <laughs> for, for a reason <laughs> Absolutely. That is the point we are definitely going to get into how disconnected it feels from the original, like by design. But then at the same time, you can't escape the the looming shadow that is the 39 version, basically. It is just one of those classics of cinema and it's so well known. So I, I'm very much the same. Like, I don't remember the first time I've seen Wizard of Oz because it's always in that cultural zeitgeist. Like you're always picking up things like like that. But for this Return to Oz, this was my first time watch. So I sort of remember seeing it on the VHS cover down at Video Easy or in uh, t- in TV Guide, like playing when they and they would give the little synopsis and things like that. And just through word of mouth of school friends, just kind of knowing this one was a little bit on the scary side. So the only thing I knew before going into this watch was Jack Pumpkinhead. Like I've seen that character before, definitely very prominent on the on the, the cover. But I love that you talked about 80s, 90s child fantasy because I love Labyrinth. Labyrinth is one of my all-time most favourite movies ever. I know, I know. So <laughs> it's got to be one of my most rewatched movies. And so it just took me so – I'm so surprised it took me so long to get to this one because it is of that 80s childhood fantasy that is a bit dark and a bit creepy. But I think that's okay. And I find that missing from children's films nowadays where you had things like Willy Wonka in the boat scene or Labyrinth with the heads being pulled off. And so I think this one, a never-ending story, you know, the sadness and things like that. I think this was a great time period for live-action fantasy kids' films. And I, I liked this one a lot. I, 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 li- I don't know if it would have scarred me as a kid, but I wish I had seen it sooner. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and I, I was curious. That was another reason why I wanted to pick it, if you had seen the film. Because um, there's mm. also a lot of, like, interesting kind of trivia and facts behind this film which well I'm sure we'll get to but um that is very like Disney kind of the history of Disney kind of so I'm excited to talk absolutely about it. yeah because this, there's definitely story behind it in production and anything in the 80s Disney I've become much more fascinated about because it really is those sort of dark periods and period of change and what the company was doing and very experimental so this this makes a lot of sense actually now that we can look back at the history so I love it it's my favourite part because you'll see. Melissa, what is your favourite scene from the film? My favourite scene from the film has to be the one that did kind of scare me as a kid, um, but it was so fun to rewatch, is uh, the hallway of heads in uh, Mombi's castle. Um, that is my favourite scene as well. Yes. That is what I've gotten down. Please go, dive in. Yeah, uh, specifically, because I guess you you do see it kind of twice in the film. First, she's just kind of like showing her and changing her head out uh, at first. But um, particularly, I like the second time we see it, which is when uh, Dorothy is stealing the key from her and then kind of sneakily going into the hallway of heads and um, getting uh, the powder of life potion or whatever elixir I, I don't really know exactly what it is uh but um and she awakens the original mombi head and then all the heads start screaming and then the headless mombi <laughs> awakens and chases her down it was just that was such a like just crucial I guess pivotal moment for me as a kid in regards to films like I just was terrified but intrigued and I I wanted to see more like I again I I was a kid who liked to be scared and uh this was very effective scene for that for sure (laughs) but it it is it's introducing kids to those good scares like showing them it's okay to be 
scared just like Dorothy is because like we we being in touch with our our emotions and our feelings and learning that body response so absolutely uh this is the one I walked away thinking about the most it was the most distinct scene uh the setting is beautiful very high fantasy very um Versailles inspired this palace there is mirrors everywhere everything is gilded in gold and lined and expensive and we meet Princess Mumby strumming this lute looking almost very regal very elf-like or woodland nymph-like even in this dress but the interesting part is when she does that very typical movie let me slip into something more comfortable and it's a different <laughs> head like yes. I've never seen that before <laughs> and she just she raises her hand out to Dorothy like help me rise I just I love the whole vibe of her. It's it's a D&D character dream. Like, I love her. And as you said, we're just introduced to this, this room of different heads, this almost a, like a woman's wardrobe of different heads because it is what who do I want to be today? What outfit do I want to be today? But the way they're just lined and each one has this little locked cabinet, it, it's just so interesting. And I agree, the kicker is absolutely when Dorothy opens the original head and that body with no head just <laughs> jumps up out of it and the lightning's going and everything it is it is like a, a horror movie scene in a, in a kid's movie and I, I think it's great but I love as well that we see that the original head is Nurse Wilson so Dorothy gets that reaction to seeing that character who had chased her so uh this this whole Princess Mumby loved it and especially as well because sometimes um in these fantasy films princess is usually termed for a good character so mm -hmm. I didn't see that switch coming, that it was going to be Nurse Wilson eventually. So I found that really interesting. Yeah, uh, is there? Oh, yeah, go. I was just going to say, um, I also love when she kind of like says, like, I'm going to, you know, lock you up in this tower until your head's ready to be like picked off. Or I, I can't remember exactly the terminology she used, she but it's like full terrifying. <laughs> She negs Dorothy. She's like, oh, you're not pretty, but one day you will grow into being somewhat beautiful. So, yes, I'm going to lock you away. And how terrifying is that as a child to hear that, like, I'm just going to be decapitated and preserved? Like, Yeah. And I feel like the way that she described it, though, was like almost like a fruit or vegetable, like needing to grow. <laughs> like, that's like the way that she described it, which I, I loved. It's like, what? <laughs> Dorothy's not the only pumpkin head, something in that vein there. <laughs> I like that. Um, so are there any other scenes that stand out to you in the film? Yeah, I would say probably another favorite scene is uh, the death of the Gnome King. Um, I, That's dark. It, it, um, it's very terrifying again, <laughs> um, but it has some great use of claymation, animation, um, fire. Um, it's And again, it's it's interesting that um, the way that he gets defeated is from Bolina, the chicken laying an egg. <laughs> um, kind of how I interpret that, that scene though. Um, and it, it is very funny how, uh, I guess the people of Oz um, that are still around uh, at this point in the film uh, seem to have a aversion to chickens or something. They, like It seems like everyone doesn't like chickens, which is really weird and specific, but um but I, I do interpret the scene of like uh, the egg being like the way that he gets um, kind of overthrown or dead or however you want to uh, describe it is, you know, eggs symbolize like life and rebirth. And I think I think this whole film is about uh, kind of Dorothy 
and it, there's a lot of parallels of like the reality in Oz and I think this is just kind of her maybe accepting uh, the creative part of herself the Oz part of herself if, if you may it will um, and I, I think that's ultimately like why he gets defeated maybe doesn't want to grow doesn't want to change as a as a villain and so this egg defeats him but it's very kind of <laughs> comical at the same time <laughs> I, w- I will definitely touch on the chicken thing because that took me out the first <laughs> is, it is my quote of the movie so I will circle back to it but I okay. definitely wanted to touch I had it in my like final thoughts if we did if it didn't get brought up I 100% agree uh the use of chickens and eggs being a symbol for birth um new life change things like that so to be defeated by that even if it is a little bit in a goofy way of like literally swallowing an egg I I, (laughs) I'm on the same path as you I think I think it's about um yeah becoming to terms with oneself and bring and bringing new life to Oz so I, I I like this scene a lot as well it is a good third act scene with the crumbling of the the king and I just like the rock faces in general I think they're amazing they were so expressive and the the artistry that went into it and and again it's that early 80s effects and I just I've got the softest spot for that you know I I will always have nostalgia goggles for that it looks amazing no matter what to me so um yeah, I, I really like the scene of the Gnome King exploding and everything like that. And he gets so large and ominous and looming and sometimes we don't see that. So I think being able to do that with the effects uh, helps it as opposed, and distinguishes it more from what we saw with the Wicked Witch of the West in the original. My second scene I want to touch on is where the film really started to hook me in and it's the escape from the asylum and that chase scene. So I loved the way they handled the tension of the film, actually. I think it's crafted in a really good way because you had those lightning storms and you, anytime there's an escape scene or people running away, I tend to put myself in those shoes. Like I tend to have nightmares of trying to escape things. So I'm always like when I'm watching a movie, I'm just like, how would I do? Or how would I go? And I've been going to the gym lately, so I'm going to be getting a little bit better. But generally, I am not the fittest person. So I know like I'm tripping over something or just <laughs> my legs are going to give out. But this chase scene really gave me goosebumps because it did feel like what it was to be a child and, you know, running away from things. And Mrs. Wilson she's nearly like a terminator like she is determined she is hunting those children down she may as well be doing like the tom cruise run at some point during this film. <laughs> through the lightning storm through the forest to the riverbed and this the moment the mysterious girl uh later full revealed to be osma she's in the river i love this scene because dorothy looks behind her sees this nurse turns forward and chooses to jump in the river like I would rather take my chances to drown than be anywhere near this person and I just found that really interesting I don't know if that's like a an actor choice or a director choice but I like that it wasn't just her falling in the river and oh being whisked away like it was a deliberate choice to take that action and I liked that Melissa what are your thoughts on this scene yeah, no, I, I think this is a great scene. I, I do have a lot of like theories about the film itself that like I kind of interpret this as like because there's like lightning and thunder happening during this scene. Um, I interpreted that she actually did go through the electric shock therapy and then like her journey through Oz is like while she is in treatment or while that's kind of happening. But I think this is like the beginning like piece of it. I do find it interesting um, when the two girls fall into the river or 
I guess, choosingly <laughs> go into the river. <laughs> um, that uh, Mrs. Wilson, uh, she, or sorry, Nurse Wilson, she she actually jumps in to try to like save them, yes. which is interesting in regards to her character because yeah, she is, I would say, a villain in the real Kansas uh, reality part of the story, and then also. Uh, the Princess Mombi uh, Oz part like she, you know she's definitely a villain in the story but I do find it interesting that her character was willing to jump in and try to save them even though she was not successful yeah I, and I wonder if that's like I have to complete this mission at any cost or like we can't let these children escape like or is it just you can't be that sort of figure and go into those settings and not have a little bit of caring or something so I don't, I don't know but that that is I like that interpretation of it. You ain't never had a friend like me. Let's get into some favorite characters. Who are some of your standout characters? Yeah, maybe it's a little basic, but um, my favorite character is Dorothy. Um, Ditto. Yeah. Uh, she, I think, uh, Fruza Balk really did a great job in this role. Um, sorry, fun little factoid real quick. Um, some people that auditioned for this role was Drew Barrymore, Alanis Morissette, and I think Juliet Lewis. So just very interesting that interesting. she ended up getting the role um, and just thinking about the possibilities of those other <laughs> actresses, especially Alanis Forsett. That's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I love Dorothy. I think uh, as a child actor, um, you know, I feel like you always have the struggle of like, are, is this person going to be too over the top, too annoying. And I, I really don't think she is here. I think she does a great job in the role. Um, she's able to convey a lot of different emotions throughout the whole film. I don't find her annoying in the slightest. I think she's a very strong female character. And as a child, I, I really liked seeing that. Um, it was something I connected with. And uh, again, I, I saw the film very similar in the age that she's depicted in the film, which again is very interesting <laughs> compared to the 1939 version where, you know, she's 16, 17, uh, you know, almost an adult um, in this film. She's definitely still a child. Um, I also do think uh, Ozma uh, is an extension of Dorothy, an alter ego, if you will. Um, oh, I kind of like, cool. I kind of interpret this film as Mulholland Drive for kids, <laughs> 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 which that's like one of my favorite films um, now that I've seen as an adult, but um, I see Ozma as like an extension of her. And so I almost, when I say Dorothy's my favorite character, I almost want to bring up Ozma as well, just because I feel like. Uh, she is a part of Dorothy, but I do think a lot of these characters are also a part of Dorothy as well. So I just felt like I, I kind of had to choose her as my favorite because she's, to me, this whole film is is her. Um, it, it's very much based around her. Yes. Yeah. yeah. She's the crux. She's, and because it, it's following on from the 39 version. So it, I don't want to get into it too deep because I'm definitely not much qualified, but the things it has to say about trauma and psychology it's really interesting and not what I was expecting going in because she's come back from Oz and just everyone is telling her she's crazy and it's her on her journey and looking. I love, I really loved the ending with her looking in the mirror and seeing Ozma and still keeping that connection to child and to self. I found, yeah, really profound. But I agree. Um, Faruja Bog, absolutely iconic as Nancy in the Craft, one of my all-time favourite figures in horror. 
so good yes. and I knew she she was Dorothy and I knew she was a child star um prior to seeing that but it's it's such an incredibly different role and I think it's a challenging role for a lot of the things you touched on as well because again The Wizard of Oz being one of the greatest movies ever made so widely known and spoke about we even spoke last week about Judy Garland and Over the Rainbow like it's really hard to fill those ruby slippers if if you could say so yeah, um, and again, we know, we know of um, Judy Garland's history and treatment of being a child star and being in the studio system, being 16 at the time of filming. She is much more adept at being able to ground it and is still playing a child but doesn't feel childlike, whereas Fruja Bog actually being of that age is probably much more of an authentic Dorothy to what it is in the books because you get all that wonder and a bit of stilted dialogue but that's okay like that's that's what it would be that is how children speak and how they interact with things so I thought for child acting it was really good actually but to be in a sequel and feel younger is, is really funny yes it is <laughs> <laughs> but uh on the whole what I've read is this is much more closer to um the book adaptation where she's still a very brave and a very persistent child and it's different to what we sort of see nowadays of this is the chosen one. It, it, it is in some ways because the people of Oz love her, but this is Dorothy's internal story. So it makes a lot of sense for that. It doesn't feel like she's just the most special child in the world and she is destined to do this. Of course she is because this is all her imagination or her, um, as you sort of said, all different facets of herself. So it gives me much more um, Alice and Alice in Wonderland vibes which is another of my all-time favorite story so I'm gonna make those comparisons too uh is there anything else about Dorothy you would like to touch on um I mean yeah I mean I think like you were saying I think kind of the message of the film is um kind of re reclaiming herself through a traumatic experience she had I, th I I feel like this world of Oz was created because of the trauma um from the tornado and it seems like her parents obviously are no longer here so you can kind of maybe assume maybe she lost them in the tornado or something like that I don't know um I read the books a long time ago as a kid I don't really remember too much like little details here and there I it really does make me want to revisit them after rewatching this <laughs> for <Me> sure <laughs> after watching um because I've grown up with the original love and the original it's always like oh one day I should do that because when I read Alice in Wonderland, so different to any like movie adaptation I'd seen, especially the Disney version. So I'm like, no, I should I should read the books. And then Oz the Great and Powerful came out. I'm like, oh, those were interesting characters. I really want to read it. And now after this one, I'm like, Kelly, you just got to get your hands on a copy of those. Like put them in the school library. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely how I was feeling too. I was like, I need to, <laughs> I need to revisit these. Uh, let's touch on some of the new friends, the new adventurers we meet along the way. Um, were there any standout new characters to you? I think this character, you either love it or hate it, but I, I, I love Belina the chicken. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, down for Belina. <laughs> I think she is hilarious. Um, and also, fun fact, she um, shares the same voice actress to the trash lady in Labyrinth, um, which is, like, I love. <laughs> same um, universe, got it, connected. There it yes, is. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, I also really did like TikTok. I, I think he's fun. Um, he doesn't like fully work for me, but I do think he's a lot of fun. Um, and then, I mean, I, I love Jack Pumpkinhead. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it, it has been cited that that's been the inspiration for Jack Skellington. And I love that because, I mean, that's Nightmare for Christmas is 
uh, another important formative film for me as a child. Um, so it's, it, <laughs> it was fun to see Jack Pumpkinhead, which he was voiced uh, by Brian. Zinn. That's so fascinating. Like fun. you can really see, because obviously the Henson Company have done Labyrinth as well. And then we see him start to uh, direct films with Muppet's Christmas Carol and Treasure Island and such. So to see the roots of it here, I've, I found really interesting. And I liked the puppeteering of it all. I like TikTok too. That is the new character that sort of stands out to me. We see that face in the machine of Dr. Wally's. You know, she, he points it out. I'm like, that's still terrifying, sir. Like he's moving the levers and the tongue's moving. I'm like that is not making any better but then I like that we get to see the analog of him in uh in Oz and it's a cool design very steampunkish so I'm down for that and I like that it's not smooth and I know that's a really weird way to go about it but I like that he's a bit clunky I like that you need to wind his brain and you need to wind his movement and he winds down and he's like I'll protect you Dorothy he's got his cute little British mustache and hat and stuff and then it's just wobbles over like it's I enjoyed it I enjoyed it a lot and I think maybe is that coming from like being an adult and being able to appreciate it a bit more like you know I think maybe as a kid you like things fast and speedy and clean and such but now I'm like no that's a cool design and I like it it's more realistic to what you would actually face which is a weird way to say about an automatic robot sort of thing Yeah, I, I think my problem, I mean, it's fun that you wind him up, but like if I think about it too much, I'm like, this feels like, I just want to know like how long do you have to wind him up for? Like, <laughs> just all those kind of questions. We <laughs> should come then, the manual. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, I just don't overthink it. Because really, I, I do enjoy his character. It's more when I like start thinking about the mechanics of it all. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. <laughs> uh, being a horror connoisseur, I very quickly want to touch on Artem. Because I didn't know any of the casting aside from Faroosha Bulk. So when I saw Piper Laurie, I was very intrigued. If this was going to take like a Carrie or even Twin Peaks turn where she was the bad guy the whole time, I was waiting for it. Yeah, no, it's, I I mean, this whole film has some really fun casting choices. And uh, that's definitely one of my favorites because, I mean, her as the mother of Carrie is one of my favorite villains of all time. Absolutely terrifying oh my gosh like the religion trauma stuff oh my gosh I, I love it but it's, <laughs> it's it's absolutely terrifying and so it's, it was interesting seeing her in this role because she, you know she's really not at all evil I would say she's definitely um you know has Dorothy's best word I'm looking so for hot. absolutely yes. yeah um with wanting to try to seek help for her at the beginning of the film obviously it's a bit drastic in my opinion you know like she just shows up and it's like yep like electroshock shock therapy let's go it's like okay how old is this child (laughs) this turn of the century setting like so we see like their house had been destroyed and they're building it and uncle harry i think it is aunt m is just a much more uh, iconic name because i i obviously hear jim gull in my head going auntie m you know so but yeah as as you sort of mentioned before like the tornado like this is post that they're trying to fix it up so they obviously just didn't know what to do with her. Dorothy's not sleeping. I found that little detail really fascinating too. So I do think Aunt Em is doing the best in her case. And she even says as much like she's never let her go with strangers and is, is worrisome. So I thought I thought Piper Laurie was a really good um, character and casting choice for this one. Listen well, all of you. Let's get into some of your favourite quotes. What stood out in the film? Because 
for sometimes this is the hardest category in the podcast for me, not gonna lie, because sometimes there's only just maybe one distinct one or otherwise. I've got at least four or five this time because I liked a lot of the dialogue in this film. What have you got, Melissa? Yeah, um, there's definitely some really funny quotes and like when I was watching it, I was like giggling <laughs> quite a bit, which was fun. Uh so I, I went with kind of one of the ones that made me laugh, which is from Belinda, the talking chicken. Um, and it's when they meet up with Jack Pumpkinhead for the first time and she's like, What is this? A man or a melon? <laughs> and then he's Your like sassy a chicken pumpkin. voice. Well <laughs> and then he's like, A pumpkin, if you please. And it's just like it's so, it's so stupid, but like it really got me laughing. <laughs> but I think that's why Belinda is a good character. She's giving a few of those sassy one liners, a bit of the comic relief, a bit of levity to the situation. One of mine is is a Jack Pumpkinhead one as well, but his interaction with Dorothy. I think this is just one of the most brilliant lines I've heard in a film because in Alice in Wonderland, uh, the 51 version, the March Hare says, uh, Alice says, well, I didn't think, and the March Hare cuts her off and says, well, if you don't think, you shouldn't talk. And that's just <laughs> always one of my most favourite cinematic quotes. So this is, the, this is the pseudo sequel to that. Jack Pumpkin said, if his brains ran down, how can he talk? And Dorothy just so bluntly replies, it happens to two people all the time, Jack. <laughs> so true so true uh what is another quote that stood out to you um another jack pumpkin head is when he sees ozma and he's like mom my real mom and then he just like passes out <laughs> her faints and it's just like it's so stupid and i love that that character <laughs> wants uh Dorothy or like he asks Dorothy is it okay if I call you mom which is like so creepy and weird because like you know he he's very a naive and childlike character mm. um it's hard to say like really how old he is but like he does seem like older than a child just the way he looks but he definitely acts like a child um and it's just it's just so weird, funny and weird that he like wants to call Dorothy mom throughout the whole film. But I just that, I love this I, I love this I love this scene though uh, when he sees Ozma again and he's like, oh, there she is. That's my <laughs> real mom. Like, what? <laughs> so weird. Yeah, definitely, definitely Olafy sort of vibes, like very parallel to that, Jack. Um, one other one I have is from TikTok when um, he's with the wheelers and he goes. I am only a machine, so I cannot be sorry or happy no matter what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that because, again, what we're talking about, like, with, with automatons, like, of course, because they come to life and we give them personalities and such, but they really, they're not feeling anything. They can't be happy or sad with what's happening. They're just programmed to do. So I found that very almost meta, like a little bit fourth wall breaking. And uh, I liked that. This other one, I have a bit of a long exchange, but uh, this is, when I heard this, I had to make sure I heard it correctly because I wasn't watching with the subtitles and I re-round to make sure I was seeing the right thing. Because at this point, we had had no mention of chickens except that Belena could talk. So it's when the, no yeah, you know what's coming. You know what's strapping. <laughs> Ready for this exchange. The no messenger rock face, which is the first sort of time we're seeing this as well. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Your majesty, she has returned to Oz and you don't see the Gnome King. You're only hearing it. It's like, good, good. Keep an eye on her. And you just hear this pause. And the no king says, well, what's the matter? And the moan messenger goes, she has a chicken with her. <laughs> it's just, it's just, and the no king, a chicken? <laughs> I know he's talking about this film. I'm like, 
what? Like, I definitely rewound. It was like, and chicken's already a really funny word. Like, I don't know why. It's just hilarious. So when they're with all this gravitas and seriousness, a chicken? It was hilarious. One song. I have but one song. Let's get into the scores and soundtracks. So I, I liked the music a lot, actually. It's a, a very fantasy score, a la Never Ending Story or Labyrinth, as we've sort of discussed. My favourite piece was definitely that very jaunty track that played when they were in the desert, very um, a ragtime piano tune. But uh, the, the music definitely supports the scenes, especially those um, escape and chase scenes. It's very that that horror vibe that to match the lightning and thunder and you know, violins really coming in. Uh, Melissa, what do you think about the score and soundtrack? Yeah, I mean, I know a big thing in regards to critics with this film was there's no music in regards to like, uh, you know, the musical, the musical. songs to like yeah. sing, uh, compare, of course, compared to the original. But um, regardless, I think the score is very underrated. And like you said, it really supports the film. I think it really captures um, sadness really well, happiness, nostalgia, like, I think it really conveys a lot of these kind of emotions throughout the whole film really well. Um, I feel like the violin and cello particularly like are a highlight throughout the whole uh, different scores. Um, but no, I, th I think the soundtrack is awesome. Um, I think it's definitely a hidden treasure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's one, it's one I would like to explore a little bit more. Like it'd be great to hear, like uh, uh, go through the, the score soundtrack like and to it because that's with labyrinth as well like yes we get the songs but that score i like when you listen to that oh um cd we had um and you had it, uh the score moments interspersed with the songs i would like to do something like that for this because yeah as i said i really like that little jazzy track as well <laughs> this is your badness level let's get into the villains we've got two very main overarching villains in Dr. Worley and Nurse Wilson, but then we've got the Wheelers as well. So, Melissa, what do you want to touch on first? We can start with Dr. Uh, Wardley. That's fine. Dr. Worley, also the Gnome King, definitely. So he's this doctor at the sanitarium who's doing electrotherapy experiments. We hear the patients screaming at night, but he's very friendly and charming to your face, very similar to what we saw with sort of the wizard in the, in the other one, like very on the surface, this is who I am, but behind the scenes, I'm really the known king. And I think this is one of the better strengths of the film is the villains because we. what I love about The Wizard of Oz is the parallels between Kansas to Oz and those characters overlapping. And we didn't get that as much in The, the Friends as, as we did in the previous one, but I like that we definitely got those um, all your sanitarium and asylum workers as counterparts in Oz. Uh, we see that carry over to the Gnome King. He, um, he's very, uh, he's toying with people. He's there, he's playing with people for the entertainment, especially at the end of the film where he's, he's putting um, all Dorothy and her companions through, through their paces and like, guess, go, play my games, play into my hand, that sort of thing. What are your thoughts on Dr. Worley and the Gnome King or both? I will say like as a kid, I don't know if I fully picked up that they were the same character uh, just because he is pretty um, you know, he's very much into the gnome, like uh, the makeup and the aesthetics of it all, especially cause he, the gnome King at first is more of this like rock formation. And then as he's claiming people as his uh, ornaments, he becomes more human. 
Um, and, you know, again, as a kid, I, I don't know if I really picked up on that. I mean, maybe at some point, I'm not really sure. But definitely as an adult, you can see it a lot more clearly. Because um, I believe he he's smoking a pipe in the office at the beginning scene when he meets Dorothy for the first time. And then he's, he's smoking a pipe uh, towards the end of the film when he's more of a... <laughs> A human per se um so I, I definitely picked that up more because I, I hadn't seen this film probably since I was a kid or I just yeah it's been a long time since I've seen it um so I definitely picked up on that more I also do love that he wears the ruby slippers <laughs> just like as a specific that was detail. so fabulous yes. he just shows them under his robe puts them away and then shows them again <laughs> Because that is something I'd never thought of as well. He's like, I'm here to reclaim the emeralds from the Emerald City. And I never thought of that because I could have sort of always pictured it as like this was how it it was always there, not that it had to be mined and had to be formed. So I found that an interesting touch point. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think his character overall, the Gnome King, kind of symbolizes uh, that destruction in... Um, in uh dorothy's like creativity and her imagination because i mean um this oz at least at the beginning of the film everything's kind of in ruins the yellow brick road is destroyed and most of the characters that we knew before are stone or um, have turned to stone or have been uh, sent to the deadly desert or whatever um and so i think he's kind of the manifestation of um kind of trying to destroy that part of Dorothy and obviously by the end of the film she does reclaim that which I love um I feel like Dr. Worley's character wasn't as strong as like the Gnome King in comparison um because we only really briefly meet him and in regards to how evil he is I feel like not really um I think he it's more ignorance. Like he, he thought he was doing the best thing for Dorothy and at the time of uh, medicine and especially like for mental health related reasons, you know, very behind the times to where we are now, which we still have a long way to go. Uh, but that, that was the method of treatment back then. Um, so I don't, I don't really find it very evil per se. I think it was just more out of ignorance. I think the Gnome King definitely is more on, on the evil scale. Is that more extravagant sign? The most interesting thing I find about Dr. Wally is actually what happens off screen. It's what Auntie M says is that the lightning struck the asylum and he ran back in for his machines. And I like that point. I like that little, we didn't, we didn't need to see it. Like that little bit of dialogue gives us everything we sort of need to know about that character. And I thought that was a nice little button on it. But the Gnome King definitely so... Um, got a lot of bravado, yells at his subordinates. I like that transition, as you said, from being in the rock face. I like the special effects and the um, artistic makeup that they did for him with his big beard and his slippers. I love it. Um, but also the personality is just at 10 because it, it flip-flops where he's toying with the, with the, with the kids and, and, like, yes, playing to my hand. But as soon as they start winning – it's that blame game that shifts to Mumby. And I find their dynamic really fascinating as well because it's like, well, you let them get away. Even though she had come here and been like, why don't you just put an end to this now? And he's like, no, 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 I'm having fun. But as soon as they get the upper hand, it's you did it, your fault. This is on you. I, I find that checks out to uh, people in power. So I found that very interesting. And also I will say that 
that is sad but true but very similar in medicine like with nurses and doctors um i i worked in healthcare for six years i absolutely uh saw that firsthand not everyone and i'm not i'm not trying to i guess stereotype it but it it, it is a reality it is more um, frequent than what you think yes yeah yeah let's talk on nurse wilson or princess mumby um definitely that harsh matron figure we see when she's in the asylum and pushing pushing everyone around and directing where things go and as i said very terminator-esque when she's ready to to do the chase but <laughs> she's just making away but jane marsh is, is by far my favorite part of, of the film i think she knocks it out of the park in this role and i like the end when she gets captured to parallel into candace when she's in the back of the paddy wagon so to speak and and behind bars what are your thoughts on this character yeah, I, th- I think she's great. Uh, to be honest, I, I almost wish she was used more. I kind of feel like she was a little underused in a way. Uh, Princess Mombi. Um, I, I feel like we, I, I would love to have seen more of that character. Um, I mean, as we spoke before, definitely my favorite scene in the film um, when she is headless. <laughs> but like also <laughs> I do like how she she almost turns into like a Corella DeVille character in a way with like the wheelers as her little like dogs yes! or something. <laughs> um also the wheelers just really quick like we need to talk about it (laughs) they are so weird and i feel like uh i love them but i also don't like them in the sense that i feel like they make the film very 1980s which is fine but i think i almost feel like if the design of it was slightly different i think this film would look a little bit more timeless or a little bit more classic i think they take me a little out of the film because it just feels so 1980s <laughs> uh the i hadn't watched chitty chitty bang bang till i was an adult because i'd always heard like the child catcher is terrifying and then i couldn't remember what was the scary part of this like what did i hear what i heard and then when I saw Beware the Wheelers graffitied on a wall, I'm like, oh, I know that this is messed up. And and Alan and Mike, and they're like, get ready for some, like, some visuals are coming. And they just came on the screen. I'm like, what is that? What is that? <laughs> they, I get what you're saying with the 80s because it's Mad Max. Like, that's what mm-hmm. it gives me. It gives me the Warriors. It gives me Mad Max. It gives me post-apocalyptic vibes of these uh, human man, uh, car hybrids the weird ornate masks, this roving gang of hybrid man cars, like, and it's terrifying and they corner her and something about being on wheels is really scary as well. I don't know. Gangs on wheels is terrifying. Locking, cornering her and things like that. Yeah. And as you said later, I really like, I'm trying to think exactly what it reminds me of, but there is something of her um, using them as the horses and on the sleigh. I think maybe like White Witch from, yeah. um, Oh, the from Narnia, like Narnia, it gives me yeah. that as well. Yeah, very, very those the, the queenly vibes. But yes, did do you have any distinct memories of seeing the Wheelers? Um, I I do. I feel like as a child, it definitely freaked me out. Uh, <laughs> maybe I blocked it out because I I almost forgot how much like they are so weird looking. I also just kept thinking this time around. I'm just like those actors like backs are they okay like it was probably so uncomfortable to like do and like I just I have a lot of questions about that <laughs> they look like giant hula hoops like I don't know how they did it how they did the practicalities of that I'm I'm not sure but yeah very interesting design practically perfect in every way Melissa is there anything we haven't touched on yet that you would like to bring up yeah I mean I 
I think this whole film is super interesting to how it happened. Um, yes. So yeah, back in the in the fifties, uh, they they bought the rights to the Oz books, and they were first going to develop a Disneyland TV show, um, and like incorporate uh, the Oz world, and it ended up um, turning into a film or like production for a film, but then it just did never followed through and I just man I would have loved to see that so interesting (laughs) that like that didn't come to fruition um and then just also again all the production kind of drama uh when this film came out um directed by Walter Murch uh this was his only feature film that he ever directed and I don't know I I kind of wish he had done more I think this was a great directorial debut um, but there was a lot of changes going on at Disney at the time, and he actually got fired <laughs> during production at some point, and uh, George Lucas and Franz For- Francis Ford Coppola kind of spoke on his behalf and was like, no, you should you should give him another chance, or I, I, don't, I don't know the details behind it, but it's just, it's just kind of interesting that he almost wasn't even going to be the director, um, and I'm pretty sure George Lucas was going to stand in if he didn't get rehired which would have been really interesting. Yeah, uh, this is 85, so, like, we know who those people are. They are influential directors of the time, so that's really fascinating that those are the two guys that have your back for this film. Uh, I agree, like, the production story is so interesting, and it. I'm glad we can see it as a cult classic now. I'm glad. I think it needs a little bit more time in the sun. I think people do need to come back back around to it. But I do understand at the time it does give me very what we saw with uh, intellectual properties from, say, like Marvel or such. Like, we have the rights, we just need to push something out. I can see that part of it for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And being tied up with the different studios, I think, is is hard because, as as we sort of said, you have this giant shadow of the 39, but there must be something with... um, rights to character likeness and such that's still tied up with MGM because obviously we get very different interpretations of the scarecrow, the cowardly lion and such. I did this uh I did not realize that was the scarecrow scarecrow when it was there. I'm like that's horrid. That was so bad. <laughs> but no, I I agree. I think the the production very influenced the end product of what 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 we ended up with. So I, I like that. Yeah, um, also just another fun casting thing that almost happened for the Gnome King. Uh, almost went to Tim Curry or uh, Chris uh, Christopher Lloyd, uh, which have, which would have been really different and interesting. I had another well, we thought. know that Tim Curry can rock a fabulous pair of shoes. So. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my points that was hard to bring up is like um, – Things with the the tropes, I liked a lot of what we saw in the fantasy tropes. So flying through the air on a makeshift aircraft, I still find to be one of the most magical things I'll ever see in film. Bedknobs and Broomsticks, of course, being one of my all-time favourite movies as well. So I feel like that really does tap into childlike whimsy and wonder because everyone dreams they could fly. So just being able to take these normal everyday makeshift objects, bring it to life, and suddenly you're flying through the air on it in the stars, in the night sky. I I really like that as well. And then the other trope of going to a magical land and partaking in their uh, strange food and drinks. So towards the end of the film, we see her drinking 
oh, something volcanic or something like that is, is the drinks and the food that they end up eating. And I always, I like those little touches and it, it um, builds out your fantasy world a little bit. No, absolutely. Um, also, I love the lunch pail tree, like just the concept of that. It's <laughs> so Willy Wonka. So, so inter interesting. It's just like, oh, it's a ham sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say um, just uh, I, I do love the end of the film um, when she does kind of reunite with Ozma uh, through the mirror. Um, and again, I, I really do think that's kind of the through line through the film is that she is connecting this part of herself and again a lot of mirrors uh throughout uh, oz and i i, I just I, I love that scene of them kind of because she, she's the one who brings out ozma from kind of the trapped mirror uh dungeon i don't i, I don't know she's like trapped uh from princess mombi and i i love that she's the one who kind of saves saves herself ultimately um and kind of reconnects that part of her and embraces that it's okay to be a dreamer and somebody who has a creative side to her, but can still kind of live uh, a regular life in Kansas. Uh, I, I love that. I, I saw that scene as well. I love it. Help me through the mirror, Dorothy. And she has to touch the mirror and bring her out, bring, bring that part of herself out. I, I, I love that as well. Uh, Melissa, this was an absolute blast to record with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd or Twitter really anywhere um i'm open to talking about movies or whatever and i'm thank you again for having me today it was a great time i will see you all next time and when you come to the end <laughs> stop thank you for joining me on this episode of doing disney make sure you follow us on facebook and instagram at doing disney podcast and twitter at doing disney pod 